The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. An Old Testament reading from Psalm 133. A song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. God, we thank you for your word, the story of your grace. I would describe the sensation as like a balloon inflating inside of my soul. (laughs) There's this experience as a parent that maybe some of you have had of walking into your sleeping child's room and looking over their bed and seeing them rest peacefully, sleep peacefully. That makes my soul just swell with pleasure. I love this kid so much. All of their complaining, all of their bickering, all of their momming and dadding me are forgotten in this moment. And all of my sins against them of snapping or biting their head off or impatience or frustration, they're forgotten as well. I just love this kid. But this summer, I had the experience of what I'll call a blimp-sized balloon inflating my soul. Because it was tripled in size as my boys decided this summer to make it a tradition of sleeping in Charlie's room altogether. All three of them in the same room. And they would go to bed just talking and laughing themselves to sleep. They felt safer together than apart. They were even able to put up with each other's preferences about how the room needed to be lit at night. And Bliss and I would have the privilege of entering in to Charlie's room and see the three of them sleeping peacefully together and go, Oh, it's so good to see. So enjoyable to experience, especially after a hard day, a day of three boys vying for alpha position, right? A day of forming two against one allegiances. One getting punched literally in the gut. One getting thrown under the proverbial bus. At the end of the day, they still wanted to be together. Only the grace of God could make that desire to be together possible. Because without the grace of God together, community Unity between siblings is not possible. At least not true unity. What is unity? Well, let me first say unity is not uniformity. I have three very different boys sleeping in that room. And we have many different people stepping foot into this church. Unity is not uniformity where we all have to look and talk and act the same. But what is unity? Unity is when many differences and different people are brought together to form a cohesive whole. Unity is described as good in Psalm 133. 
And it's described in the same word when God creates the world and declares all of these things good. It's the same word used. It all fits together perfectly. But from the entrance of sin into the world, unity has not been the mark of different shades and colors and personalities and people living together, right? I want you to go back with me to the dawn of time in Scripture. And I want you to ask the question, how did the first brother relationship go in Scripture? Do you remember? It ended in murder. Cain murdered Abel. The first brothers, one killed the other. My brother and I were three years apart. It's, that's a difficult span between siblings, three years is. And we would fight a lot. But here's what's funny. We would even fight over who was Cain and who was Abel because we wanted to be Cain. We wanted to be the one who stood up at the end. That division between brothers has been around since the beginning. I want you to think for a second of your own family. Are there divisions? Are there unspokens? Are there years of resentments that haven't been talked about? I want you to think about your family here right now. Was getting to church this morning filled with unity? Was your week filled with hot air balloons, soul filling of unity? Or more honestly, has this week been more of a battlefield where there's been words used as weapons, where there's distance that's growing, where there's conflict still left unresolved day after unspoken day? I want you to think about our culture. Friends, how are we doing at unity as a culture? How are we doing at differing people living together as one? I would grade us with an F minus. Political divides, pandemic divides, personality divides, racial divides, religious divides, needing to be right divides, money divides, marriage divides. I'm going to do it my way divides. Even the attempts at human unity Pride, even those attempts, if you don't get on board, then you're out. Division is the way of the world. Division is the default of the devil. And division is the fault of our flesh. And the result of division is hate, isolation, distance. It's C.S. Lewis's metaphor for hell. If you've ever read The Great Divorce... His metaphor for hell is neighbors that slowly live further and further away from one another. We are on the second to last leg of the Psalms of Ascent journey. And we're at the top of the hill of Jerusalem. The temple is in sight, the place where God dwells. And we've all been journeying together, singing psalms together And if you can imagine Psalm 133 being sung as hundreds of thousands of people are headed in the same direction, headed toward the place that God dwells. It's like our modern day, they'd be singing the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. That's what they're doing. That's where they're heading. Because community is how the Lord does life together. Because it's how the Lord is. He's a perfect tri-unity. Father, Son, and Spirit. Three distinct persons living as one unified God. 
And Psalm 133 is this soul-filling picture of what God wants for us. Unity. Life together. And Psalm 133 is a charge for all of us, church, to battle with everything that God has for unity. Fighting for unity to reign upon God's church and among His people. Because when we don't, as a church, fight for unity... If we live in disunity and division as a church, guess what we give the world? We give them a hopeless faith that looks just like the rest of the world. Man, the church doesn't look any different than the rest of the world. But when we fight for unity, we give the world a window into what's to come. Psalm 133 begs the question, why do we church need to fight for unity? And in three parts, the psalm gives answer. Why fight for unity, church? First, unity feels really good. Second, unity flows from a good God. And third, unity forever is our end. Why fight for unity? First, unity feels really good. Look with me at verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. A psalm begins with the Hebrew word henna, which is a directive to look. It's like saying, check this out. Or in Northeast Wisconsin, come here once. Come here once. Let me show you something. Whenever anyone asks you to come here once or check this out, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? Because they want to show you something that's unique, something that's different, something that's noteworthy. And the psalmist wants us to see that unity is noteworthy. Look at that. Look at how good that is. Look at how pleasurable that is. That feels great. Unity is pleasurable. Friends, we need to hear this because we live in a culture that says pleasure is our end. We need to just pursue pleasure. Our world says we can keep pursuing pleasure, but without any kind of purpose. It feels good, so do it. And maybe unity will come later. I don't know. Just do what what feels good. So things like sex, media consumption, delicious foods, they're all pleasurable things, but that becomes the end. This passage is saying instead that unity is the end. And what comes from that is this byproduct of pleasure. Unity produces pleasure. Unity feels good. Doesn't it? Here's the kicker, though, of living in a fallen world. Unity is not our human operating system. Our souls are tuned, if you will, to the call letters W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me, radio? We pursue pleasure based on what we want, on what we can get from something or someone else. Fighting for unity instead is not about what's in it for me. It's about what's in it for you. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I lift you up? I want to just take an example of a conflict between two people and how unity can foster pleasure. At the start of our vacation... Bliss and I had a blow-up in front of our kids. And it was a doozy. It lasted maybe 30 seconds. But it was a long and intense 30 seconds. And it was ugly. The dial was set to what's in it for me radio. 
I wanted my way and bliss stood in my way. And the kids were in the back seat, quiet and shocked. And their dial was set to any other station than what was happening in the front seat. And we drove in quiet. You know that couples, friends, you know what that quiet feels like, right? (sighs) But God's grace and God's pursuit of unity wouldn't let that last long. The fight for unity began with the first spoken words. Can we just talk about what just happened? And I tell you what, even right now as I'm thinking about it, there is something that feels so incredibly good about making up, about reconciliation, about restoring unity. The alternative to us as a church fighting for unity, friends, strangely also has this little bit of pleasure attached to it. But it's not a lasting pleasure. I'll give you some examples. Like in that fight with bliss, it felt good in that moment to let bliss have it in the car. It feels good in the moment to talk about someone, to gossip about someone who's hurt us. It feels good in the moment to rehearse that speech in your head of someone who's hurt you bad. But friends, that instant pleasure, you know, it does not last. The trap with these quick fixes of feeling good and saying something about somebody or jabbing somebody feels good, but it doesn't last. It only leads to guilt. Unity instead is a spiritual feeling good that has eternity attached to it. It's so different a pleasure. So I want to ask you, where might you be facing division and disunity in your life right now? Where are you maybe deriving these quick doses of pleasure from getting angry or gossiping or being resentful towards someone? The word of God wants you to behold how good and pleasant it is to seek unity instead. Remember how good and pleasant it was to hear the Lord say of you, you're forgiven Fighting for unity is knowing at the end of that unspoken silence or that long resentment is an offer of pleasure beyond a quick fix. Because that pleasure that you experience is a taste of the Lord. It's a taste of eternity, which leads us to our second answer. Why fight for unity? Unity feels good. Why? Because unity flows from a good God. Verses 2 and 3 are a description of what that pleasure is like. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. The psalmist has a hard time describing the feeling of unity, but he gives us these two similes. Precious oil and kids, he gives us mountain dew. Precious oil and Mountain Dew. Let's unpack each of these quickly. Precious oil was used to anoint a priest, to pour over his head, to anoint a priest or a king or a prophet in the Old Testament. Oil was an indicator of God's spirit, giving someone the ability to do what they couldn't do themselves. Can't be a priest on your own. You need God's grace to make you do that. And Aaron was the first high priest. He was the first person anointed to be a representative of the people to God. 
And he was the first to be a representative of God to the people. And the psalmist wants us to experience what's happening when Aaron is being ordained. That oil that's being lavished on him. It was expensive and it smelled really good. And it soothed and it softened the skin. And you could smell, as a congregation participant in the ordination, you could just smell how good it was. It was a directive showing you grace. Aaron didn't campaign to be a priest. David didn't campaign to be a king. They were chosen. And this picture of oil is a picture of who we all are in Christ. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And Christ, our high priest, has called each one of us to serve as representatives of God to the people in the world and representatives of the people of the world to God. And what is the evidence of the Spirit's power working at it in us as priests? Unity. They will know we are Christians by our love. Love is not about what's in it for me. They will not know we are Christians by being a Republican or a Democrat. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our sacrifice, by our self-forgetfulness, by our service to the people around us. The second picture, the oil, then the Mountain Dew. The Mountain Dew that comes from the highest mountain, Hermon. This is the only mountain in Israel where you can ski. That's where there's snow on Hermon. And sometimes when moisture would pass over, it would pass over from Hermon onto lower mountains. And it passed over and landed on the lower mountain of Jerusalem as well. Jerusalem is a very dry, arid place. And it would be blessed in the morning sometimes with this water that came from this high mountain. And we see in this picture how unity, like water, can make cracks smooth and can make dry places start to grow again. You have to see in this picture of Mountain Dew that unity doesn't come from us like welling up the water, digging it up. It comes from above. It's a gift from God. It's a grace from above. Grace flows down. And the psalmist is writing and using the same word of falling three times. He writes how it falls and then it falls and then it falls from above. If you've ever been to the Abbey Church, their stained glass in the back of that beautiful church has a picture of the Trinity. And the Father's at the top and then there's water flowing down and you see the Son. And then there's water flowing down and you see the Spirit. This is the fall, 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 Father, Son, Spirit coming down. And this is where we see Jesus, the high priest sent down from heaven. Down, 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 grace came. Jesus, who was anointed by Mary Magdalene. Do you remember that story? With precious, expensive, sweet-smelling oil. Marking him as the prophet, as the priest, as the king who would fight for unity. Fight for unity by falling himself down, down, down to death. Washing us by his blood. Cleansing us with his living water. 
And the New Testament passage that Barbara read in Ephesians declares, Christ is the only way you're going to find unity. He is our peace. He's broken down dividing walls of hostility between us and God and between us and each other. You're not going to find it in the world. As much as the world says you can find unity on our own apart from God, you're never going to find it. And he invites us into that unity. As Jesus prays in the garden just before his death in John 17, do you remember what he prays? He says, Father, make them one as you and I are one. Unity is what God wants because that's what God is. I want to ask you, is your fight for unity right now in your life and your relationships happening more from the ground up? Where you're trying to make it happen. Maybe you're just standing back waiting for them to apologize. Maybe you're just waiting for them to break the silence. Maybe you're just waiting for them to crawl back and say they're sorry. Maybe you're just being Wisconsin nice and not saying what's really wrong. Or is your fight for unity coming from above? The Spirit of God prompting you to fall, fall down. Make the first move. The Spirit's oil from heaven giving you a call as a priest to call that estranged family member. The water, the mountain dew, fueling you to pour water on desert places by making a long-distance phone call, by breaking the silent treatment, by treating infected wounds with words of hope and grace. You can't fight for unity without Jesus. He's your high priest who will make it possible. So unity feels good. Why? Because unity flows from a good God. And unity forever is God's end. Just close with this. The last phrase says, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. This is our blessed end. Life forevermore. Can you imagine what our existence might be like in the world to live in perfect unity? It will feel so good. And it will be because a God, a unified God made it so. But friends, it's something, church, that we have to fight for now. Why? So that the world might know that it's real and it's eternal. Church, we're in a difficult season. We're weary. We're feeling homeless. But by God's grace, we are still together friend and I were talking this week about how there have been so many opportunities at All Saints for the devil to try to divide his people. Misunderstandings, impatience, frustration, grass is greener complex, weariness, division, disunity, friends, is easy. It feels good for a moment, but unity is eternal. It is our end. It is what we strive for. This past week, we were at uh, Bay Beach for our fourth Sunday feast. And I got to experience a taste of what fighting for unity looks like. And it happened in all places in the line for the Zippin' Pippin'. Fifteen All Saintsers were in line for the Zippin' Pippin', headed toward that end to get on that ride. And it was, the, it was 15 that were the most 
to verse 15, you could see there were young, there were old, there were singles, there were marrieds. Um, I heard my, I heard Ryan Frelick talk to my son about stocks and bonds. And I was just hearing all these strange conversations and these conversations were morphing. Like we were moving to each other, like having these different conversations. And Ryan Frelick said, when we were talking about it later, he goes, it's one of those things that if we were just kind of scattered, we wouldn't have stayed in those conversations very long, but we were all together headed toward the roller coaster end. So it worked. And it was so beautiful, a picture. I just kept smiling at all these conversations with all these different people from different backgrounds. I was like, this is amazing. And I tell you what, those who are on the roller coaster can attest to this. Getting on the coaster and going down that first hill was so much fun. We laughed and enjoyed it so much. Thankfully, I have a picture to remember that fighting for unity that was seen in that roller coaster line. And friends, that's what the Lord is calling us to fight for. Turn from petty divisions. Turn from cancer-like resentments. Turn from creating these pockets of people and fight for unity. Fight for the all that is All Saints Church. Because it is the blessing from heaven on earth until Christ comes again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your work. Thank you for your work of unity in sending Christ down to come and die for us and unite us back to you, Lord. We are a divided people. It's in our flesh and it's the devil's schemes. We see it in the world. But Father, continue your work in the church of bringing unity and oneness so that the world might see something so different from what they read every day. They might see a people who are one in you, Jesus. And may this church be a people who are all different, but are indeed one because we share in the common bond of Jesus Christ. And it's in his perfect and unifying name that we pray. Amen.